session. Podcast Artists. The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum. Welcome to the podcast of the session. My name is Anna Witt and I'm sitting here with Mikula Ritni. It's the day after the opening of your show and also the premiere of your new work in the district here in the secession, shown in the cabinet in the first floor. You're an artist, a filmmaker, a curator, but you're also a friend. So I have known you since a long time now. And I think I also have met you in different chapters of your life. First, I met you in 2011. It was at Summer Academy in Bern. And I remember you were back then a member of Soska group and also a quite active figure in the Kharkiv art scene. What is your hometown? Would you tell us a little bit about that? Hi, Anna. Uh, it's good to be here and to meet you uh, after a while uh, in accordance to this new exhibition and this session. Coming back um, to the days in Kharkiv and the activity of the Soska group, I have to tell how it was organized and what was the reason for us to work together because Soska was an artistic collective where three people were making projects together but it was also an artist-run space and let's say self-organized institution. The reason why from the beginning uh, we were combining these two types of uh, activities is because in 2000s, in the middle of 2000s when the group was organized in Ukraine, there was not so much professional institutions related to contemporary art, related to representation of contemporary art, but also to the education in this field. So um, young emerging artists were facing the situation of this vacuum and uh, in order to change it and to develop your practice yourself, you will need to do things in a DIY way. So in this sense, Soska Gallery Lab, which we run in Kharkiv for seven years from 2005 to 2012, was such a type of a platform where we could meet, discuss projects, but also to show, to represent the results of the work and also invite other people to present their activities. And what was political climate back then? The political climate in Ukraine changed after 2004. In 2004, there was a, a so-called Orange Revolution, which was a series of peaceful protests uh, related to uh, presidential elections when uh, pro-Russian Viktor Yanukovych wanted to steal the results of the election and people went to protest. So that was uh, actually quite influencing for me as a young person to see uh, that people can actually change something or at least they are not sitting at home when they see a certain injustice, but they are go to the streets and protest. So in this sense, I think this influence was also visible in the works by Soska Group, but also in my individual projects, because all of them um, related to social and political issues. Then we met again in 2014. It was a residency in Moldova. 
And actually, it was at the same time when there was the first Russian invasion and annexation of Crimea, and as you describe it, also the start of the hybrid Russian war. And it was also at that time when you started your serious blind spots, um, which for me seems to be a starting point for an, a whole new chapter in your works that is as I understood, uh, dealing with this difficult question of how to look at war. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, when uh, the war started in 2014, uh, I think uh, people start to be bombarded not only with artillery, um, as it happened uh, in particular regions on the east of Ukraine, uh, but also start to be bombarded with a mass amount of visual information because we live in a world where is uh, receiving the, the fresh uh, news about different political events uh, is not a problem. Uh, the problem from my perspective is uh, in overproduction of uh, such images, especially um, when it comes to to the violent content, images of disaster and gore uh, documenting people's pain. And when you see that every day and in a huge amount, that became something like um, that turns in another type of attraction and people just lose the compassion. They don't really see this event and even start to ignore so um, that time I start to think how what could be the the message from artistic side and how to reflect on this problem and the blind spot uh, the idea of the serious uh, blind spot came as a metaphor because same time I start to research ophthalmology the science of vision the science which discovers vision in a very physical, not philosophical, but physical dimension. And uh, the blind spot itself uh, is, um, is a field uh, in our vision which every human being has. It's a field between the left and right eye um, where we don't really see um, the world around or in front of us, but it's our brain which... Uh, reconstructs the information according to our knowledge, the context around, um, and so on and so on. And we never think about it, so we are doing it completely unconscious. And uh, the moment when we become aware is the moment of a trouble. Mm, uh, the trouble in a sense that if the person has a blind disease, a disease of blindness, uh, and start to lose the vision, that blind spot became a real obstacle in the field of vision. So for me, that became uh, a metaphor on how uh, society or societies react uh, to the media information, whose aim, at least it's uh, manifested like making things more clear and uh, inform people. But in fact, it makes it more far from us. Then some time passed and we met again actually last year in February. I think it was shortly after the full-scale invasion. And yeah, I think I can imagine since then a lot of your conditions have changed and you live in Berlin now. That also brings us to the new film that you developed for this exhibition. 
But first, could you maybe describe a little bit for the listener what we can see in this film? After the full-scale Russian invasion started in Ukraine, that was a very difficult time. And I lived in Kiev for that time. I lived there last five years. But that was the time when I was changing place of being in Ukraine, moving from one place to another, uh, mainly for security reasons. But then at some point in 2022, I found the time to visit my hometown, Kharkiv. And I learned uh, from friends, but it was also all over in the media, that the district uh, where I was growing up uh, and I lived there, For almost 18 years of my life, uh, it was heavily damaged by Russian artillery and airstrikes. The reason why? Because that is the northern outskirts of the city, and the buildings uh, of the district became uh, a fortress wall in front of Russian aggression. So uh, I visited the district and I was very impressed, if not to say shocked. I did some amateur footage uh, with my phone, uh, but that was actually the moment when the idea for the new film uh, started to rise, and uh, then I started to develop this concept. But I was not actually sure back then if I will be able uh, to make this film. And only after, when I get this invitation from the secession to make a solo show here, I start that that could be a good opportunity to create this work. Unfortunately, my life developed in that way that uh, I moved to Berlin earlier this year. And for different reasons, it was not possible for me to go back to Ukraine to make this film on a site. So that was the first film which I did in a very new way for me, meaning that it was filmed remotely. I got in touch with the small but very talented video production from Krivy Rich, people who worked with other Ukrainian artists before, and the cameraman and sound recordist went to Kharkiv with my instructions to film the district. So we did um, all the conversations and um, discussions about the footage online, but it was done in a three days. And could you, for the listener who hasn't had the chance yet to see the film, just describe maybe a little bit what we can see, like uh, what images can we see and how is the film structured? The starting point for the plot of the film was my walk in the district, which I was doing almost every day uh, when I lived there, because I lived on the outskirts, but I was need to go to the school uh, and later to the art academy, uh, which was locate both located in the city center. And uh, it was a, a long, almost one hour trip, uh, but before taking a bus, uh, you would need also to reach the bus stop by foot, and that was something like 10 minutes walk. And on my way, there was different situations related to people I met or different occasions uh, happened to me in this, we can say, different life, because that was almost 20 years ago. So I wanted to repeat uh, this walk and to show the locations related to my memories, to the situation from the past, which eventually uh, you can see in the film. 
So this film is based on the juxtaposition of uh, short stories from the past, when it was a uh, peaceful life, but also life full of um, different type of uh, adventures and, uh, and situations. And the, uh, the images of how this district looks now, um, because now it looks like a ghost town after um, uh, Russian attacks. Uh, lots of people left uh, the districts because of heavy destructions. And uh, before the full-scale invasion, uh, there was around 50,000 uh, inhabitants. Uh, now only a few thousand left. This is the reason why you almost cannot see any people in the film, but just the empty space. For me, it also feels like, maybe also as you described now already, This idea of distance plays a quite important role, like the voice that you can hear in the in the film describes distances between housing blocks, distances to the city center, but then it's also about the distance of memory. And could you also see this distance in a connection maybe to a bigger context of how images are projected on the war or how did you do you feel about this idea of distance yeah you're right uh, distance is a very important meaning in the context of war and in the context of uh, how artistic work can be done or can be created in such uh, circumstances when i experienced the first half a year of the invasion in ukraine It was really hard to to concentrate, to to think, to reflect uh, what is going on, and uh, to produce something new because there was much more uh, crucial and important things to do, like for instance, just to save your life, uh, to help your friends and people uh, close to you, and. Uh, basically, the whole past year, I was not able. Um, to create anything new. Only when I appeared to be outside of the country, I found that possibility to come back to my work and uh, continue my practice. But also the distance is important uh, in relation to this particular film because uh, I didn't want to make a film about here and now and concentrate it on atrocities of war or through you can see them in the film. But you can learn all of that information from uh, documentary films. The footage was more uh, like a, a journalist approach. So my aim was to underline this difference between different times And to me as an author, and I think to the viewer who watched the film, it's interesting to find uh, in which time and in which situation you actually are when you watch the film. Because the film is made in that way that I believe this line between different times is dissolving. What was interesting for me that the voice in the video describes life in uh, Slatvika, the place, but also your own experiences that are very personal, but on the same way I felt are also universal as, for example, when you 
hear the voice talking about parents listen to the telephone conversation because of the fixed line as you would have it back then. And I also remember a similar situation from my youth and also being a teenager and listening to uh, like um, protest music and all these memories that could speak to a more like collective idea of being young and growing up and thereby are quite different from documentary that you would normally see from war zones and creating a different connection. So I was interested in how you would describe your films in this way connected to documentary. Yeah, I, I never call my films documentary or through It's always uh, documentary-based. I never did uh, a really a fiction films. It's always based uh, on the documentary footage of the reality. But th then uh, it's never enough for me. So I like to change it, to transform it, and to look at it from a different ag angle or to add uh, a certain uh, filter. And as you mentioned, this film is based on a private stories, but I don't think that my experience in these stories are unique. So opposite to that, I hope that uh, the viewer will find a mirror of own experience. And in this sense, that can make a tragedy which happened in Ukraine closer and more clear uh, to other people because, you know, I'm juxtaposing the memories from the 90s where the, there was no war in Ukraine, but then new generations had uh, own stories and uh, own experience of everyday life. But then it just stopped for um, uh, some people. And also something that stood out for me is that the story is based on your personal experiences, but you decided to use a female voice in the film. Can you tell us why you decided on this strategy? I think it's a couple of things related or influenced decision. First of all, we talked about the distance. And while I was working on the film, I used different methodologies. I also have a record when I narrated all the stories by myself. But somehow I didn't like it because the, during the work I start to feel uh, the distance to uh, my own experience and start to feel more and more about myself in these stories as to the character, as it's almost a fictional character. And then another thing is that the viewer will understand uh, from the stories that the district was very male and very masculine environment uh, for the person to, especially for the person uh, who is growing up there. So uh, I invited my friend who is a Ukrainian living in Berlin to make a voice narration of this film to propose something in a contrast to that or to create some kind of alternative and uh, maybe even a conflict. I hope that conflict uh, is visible in the film. Well, at the one hand, you have this documentary-based image where a camera goes through the district scanning the environment, but then you also use quite formal filmic strategy of filters that appear in different techniques, I would say. Like sometimes the image starts and there is already a pixeled cloud kind of hiding something. In certain other moments, pixels are fading images or buildings or elements that you see in the film. 
but in certain other moments, the effect of blurring is used to create something that's not in the image, but is maybe more out of memory. Can you tell us a little bit what you want to address with these different forms of blurring? The visual effects which were added to the reality in this film comes uh, or um, appears uh, in the film uh, in a different way. So uh, some of them related to the objects which are gone and which was not possible to find anymore. So in that moment, their shapes appears as some kind of a ghost or phantom. In other cases, when we see some locations or places, objects damaged as a result of the war, they are disappearing or uh, dissolving, or uh, there are different filters which covers them, like pixelization you mentioned, or the effect of blur, or many others. Basically, that is related to idea that certain places, which was important to my memories, are exist only in my memories now. And their shape today is not correlated with how I remember them. This is how that filters appears in the film. But then there is also another reason to use that kind of effects, inspired by the way how the places of explosions or the places heated by Russian rockets appeared uh, in the media and social networks in the beginning of the full-scale invasion. Uh, shortly after that, Ukrainian government asked the users who publish the video or uh, news agencies not to show such places, actually, but use uh, different filters to cover them. That was made for security reasons, in order not to show the enemy and not provide the enemy with uh, information of did they hit the target or not, because the attack could be repeated and even more people would die as a result of that. But these filters also create a certain format of obstruction to the film, I would say. So maybe could you tell us a little bit also about the editing? So, for example, I feel there is also a, a blurriness to the images and even if in, in the typography that you use, that the text is not clear, the image looks a little bit blurry and uh, elements are blurred out, so you never actually really see the space. It has this very uncanny atmosphere. What decisions did you make in the editing or was it already like concept from the beginning? Yeah, I, I would also add that it's influenced uh, the idea of color grading because the film looks very light and the colors uh, are almost faded in the film. I think it, um, I would explain it in that way that when you come to such places and you try to distance from the context around, they looks like they were left by the people many years ago and there was no life already for quite some time. So the district looks like a ghost town inside the city. So that feeling or that atmosphere of the place somehow was related to me with this decision in the editing and color grading and in the sound. 
I know you're also interested in, in film since quite a while. And yesterday at the opening, a friend told me that for her, the title, um, the district somehow felt like in relation to the zone um, by Tarkovsky's Stalker. Was this a reference? Not really, because I don't like Tarkovsky, actually. I like Eisenstein, <laughs> Zigavertov, and more like a silent avant-garde in the early Soviet cinema. In this sense, I also can remind that actually the way how this film is made, I mean that I was not present on the shooting location, which in my case was... Uh, rather can be described by the circumstances. Uh, for example, Ziga Vertov was doing that intentionally as a film director. He was always sending his brother, Mikhail Kaufman, to the locations because he thought that the director who will later edit the film should not see all that additional information during the filming process. For this reason, this film is also, it's quite precise. So maybe it was described on the paper before the shootings much more detailed uh, than any other film I did before. Because when you film the reality around, at least to me, everything seems interesting. It's, it's hard to concentrate all through. You, you have the clear idea what you need to film, but uh, there are always a lot of additional footage. And this time that was not the case. Somehow working with the cameraman and sound technician um, on the distance, we filmed only what is really needed for later montage. That uh, brings me to also something that uh, I was wondering while watching the film, like what was there first, the narration of memories or the ideas of places that then would bring you back to these memories? I think uh, both, both were important from the very beginning. But obviously this literature structure based on my memories became like a basis or a skeleton for the montage, because obviously you can film the visual footage in a very different way. Uh, but that is the text which helps us to, to go with the film, to be navigated with the film. Something that I also felt is present in the film is this idea of transition. Like first you have this transitional moment of the district that was building in a time of the collapse of the Soviet Union. Then you have this transition of your name from Nikolai to Mikula. And then you also have this transition from a lively town, as you would imagine it, to, uh, as you also can see in some of the documentary images that you edited in the film, to a ghostly town. Was this idea of transition something important for you? This is the interesting question. Uh, maybe I was not thinking about it in these terms, but for sure the transition between different times, between post-Soviet reality, which started in 1991, and the reality today, which to me is marked with the year of 2022, if even not earlier, with 2014. It marks a completely different period because uh, post-Soviet space is not really possible without Ukraine. And Ukraine as a country decided to go uh, to the other direction towards Europe. 
So that directions shifted and Russia reacted with their imperialist aggression accordingly. But actually the story of the transition of my name uh, to me is quite related to this political process. Because in my first passport, in my first national passport, uh, my name was written in two languages that was not only Ukrainian, but also Russian. So it was both Mykola and Nikolai. It was something like uh, reality was giving you a choice so that you need to choose something. And I made my choice, but also uh, the circumstances around changed in that way that now younger people in their passports, they would have only uh, one version, which is Ukrainian. This idea of transition, I think also for me, relates to the second work that will be soon installed at the facade of secession, the blind spots that is playing, as you described a little bit or started to describe a little bit earlier before, with this idea of from vision to blindness, But you also decided to show two different versions of this project, one from 2014 and one from now. What was your motivation to um, have this juxtaposition of these two different images? From one side, the version of the blind spot work for the facade of the secession is based on the juxtaposition, as you said because one image is showing a destroyed building, a part of the destroyed building as a result of military action. Another one is showing a panoramic view of my district, uh, which you also see in the film, a big part of which covered with a black field or dark spot. In this sense, this difference where you can see reality or uh, results of the war and where you can see the city view in a peaceful period is really um, erasing. You cannot be sure anymore where is war and where, where is peace. That is leads to the idea that war can come to your home very suddenly. From another side, it's not only juxtaposition, but it's continuation. Because unfortunately, I observed that uh, many people in other countries learned about this horrible war in, only in 2022. But for Ukrainian, it continues since 2014. So that was also important statement to integrate in this work. But of course, what's the most important that this work is made and planned for the facade It deals with architecture and secession is a famous art space and maybe one of the most photographed building in Vienna, if not in the whole Europe. At the same time, uh, many museums and also art spaces and libraries in Ukraine were destroyed by Russian rockets. So in this sense, this is also the projection in order to warn Uh, people in Europe or people in Vienna about this problem. So you work with this disease that is leading at a certain point from like a narrowed view to blindness. That is maybe a metaphor to image politics, but also connected to the physical experience of the body and connects to the individual Actually, once I talked to a psychologist about what happens to the human when watching this kind of violent images all over in the press, and 
He said, this is just this kind of ignorance that it appears is also a filter to protect yourself from, from these images. Is this also something from your experiences uh, when, when you were dealing with all these media images, like in your daily life, but also for, for your project? It's hard to say, but I would say that the situation with uh, violent content in the media and in, in the representation of video material around us, even worse, because violent content uh, also can create something worse than disappearance of empathy, but a certain addiction. For example, I was thinking why people so much like to watch horror films. Because you feel certain pleasure uh, when you watch them, uh, otherwise they would be not so popular. But in a case with horror films, we know that this is staged. Uh, it's almost like a scary fairy tales, if you like. Or through some of them are very uh, natural, and they are showing the brutality of murder and death in a very close-up manner, I would say. But similar effect uh, can happen with the real violence, which is shown to the people. And this is the process which is not normal, I would say. I don't feel like the pain of the other people should be attraction today. That maybe also leads to something else I wanted to talk to you. As I said in the introduction, you not only work as an artist, but also as a curator and since a while you're doing like a screening program one of them i had seen with the title talking about myself question mark talking about you can you tell a little bit about this curatorial projects that you do and what's related to that yeah i think we can also announce uh, that talking about myself talking about you will be shown in vienna in a frame of this show but as a screening program in Stadtkino in November. This particular selection consists of five video works and film of Ukrainian artists and filmmakers. And related to the idea of performativity of a trauma as an artistic method or methodology which artists use. Because everyone in Ukraine are traumatized since the beginning of this invasion. So basically, the meaning of the word experience become equal to the meaning of trauma. Because there are no experience, uh, but only traumatic experience. And this is something hard to live with, hard to experience. And artists use different strategy how to work with this and how to reflect on that. Sometimes it's painful for artists themselves, sometimes it's also triggering for the audience. But I think these artistic gestures, they provide something else and something more than you can just watch in documentaries or um, media coverage about this war, which tend to generalize the reality and people's experience, while the topic of this selection, I think more about subjectivity and private stories and experience in given circumstances. And here you're in the role of curator. Is this also something that gives you an opportunity to stay in contact with the artistic community? And is this something that is of importance to staying in dialogue? 
I curated film screenings and video exhibitions quite many times in recent years. The main reason for that, I am interested mainly in the media of the film myself, but also that actually quite many artists who work with video or film form and film directors whose works goes beyond the frame of traditional cinematography, traditional film, these two spheres or these two fields start to come closer to each other and uh, cross in many cases. So to me, also, the process of curating such projects was related to the idea to make these cross lines more intense and make uh, such projects as a platform uh, for this communication between two different films, because even five or seven years ago, they were very alienated from each other in Ukraine. And maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago in the whole world. I think that would be a good teaser for people to come back to to see the screening at Stadtkino, you said, and also to come to see your film and the banner that will be installed soon. Thank you very much, Mikula, for this conversation. Thank you for this great conversation, too. That was a pleasure. Podcast. Artists. The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum.